Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to reflect upon your word. Open our hearts to receive it, and I ask, Lord, that you would open my mouth to speak it, that what is done here will edify your people and give glory to your name. In Jesus we pray, amen. On the inside back cover of your bulletin is uh, actually the Old Testament reading printed out. Um, that's going to be my sermon outline this morning, so uh, you can, uh, can follow along with me. Bingo. Um, as uh, many of you know, I'm kind of a wild and crazy guy. <laughs> I uh, sometimes like to uh, flaunt the rules. And uh, see, one rule that I'm flaunting today is Thou shalt not sing Christmas hymns during the season of Advent. Okay, you just sang a Christmas hymn. And I guess I should apologize more deeply because the first hymn you sing during communion is Joy to the World. Now, the thing is, in my defense, if you read the words of Joy to the World, it's not really a Christmas hymn, it's more of a Advent or a coming of Jesus in the, uh, the last days. And so uh, I want you to think about it instead of Jesus' first coming, think of it in his second. Now, let's get to the sermon. In uh, verse 17 of uh, chapter 2 of Malachi, you have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or, where is the God of justice? Now, the reason I chose the uh, sermon hymn this morning to be O Little Town of Bethlehem is just because of the last sentence of the first verse. So I made you endure the rest of the hymn just for fun, okay? The last words of the first verse are the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. And when we look at Christmas, we see that clash of hopes and fears. We see the shepherds coming with hope to the manger of the Christ child. But we see Herod, not only fearful, but paranoid, who was a ruthless, murderous king who sent his soldiers to Bethlehem to kill all the children two years of age and under. The hopes, the fears. That can lead us to an important question, and it's a question that the uh, Jews were asking uh, Malachi. They said, what's with the Lord? He says, all who do evil are good in your eyes, O Lord, and he's pleased with them. 
Now, doesn't it seem that way sometimes that the, the wicked get away with it? Where is justice in this world? When bad people do bad things and they turn out good for them. That's not fair, that's not just. So where is the God of justice? Well, God has an answer for that. If you look at uh, verse one of chapter three, God says, I will send my messenger. Okay, the Jews must have said. God is going to finally do something. He's going to send a messenger. Of course, we as Christians recognize that messenger to be John the Baptist. And who will prepare the way before me. Okay, God is coming himself. And it'll be about time. Those guys are going to get it. And I'm going to be justified in all that I've done. And he goes on to say, Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come. Suddenly the Lord will come to his temple. And that takes us to again to the birth of Christ and his parents taking him to the temple. And old Simeon and old Anna come to recognize the baby as the one promised by God. So, God's going to keep his covenant. The covenant was with, God, with the God's people saying, I'm going to provide a land for you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to do the good that is yours is my people and whom you desire will come. Oh yes, Lord. Come quickly and deal with those people who get away with so much. It'll be about time when you do that. So yes, we seek you. We want you now. Well, okay. But who can endure the day of his coming in verse 2? Well, who can endure the day of his coming? Well, certainly all those bad people won't. When God comes, he's going to deal with them and he's going to deal with them hard because he says, who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. A refiner's fire, the purpose is to burn out the dross, the impurities. Launderer's soap was soap used <coughs> by uh, those who sheared sheep to clean the wool, and it was very caustic. It was nasty stuff. The closest thing I can think to, to that is that when I was small, I don't know if any of you or your mothers did this, but she made lye soap. I don't know if some of you may have heard of lye soap. It's, it's as nasty as its name implies. And it comes in a nice white cake and looks good enough to eat. But uh, my mother gave me warning about that. 
And even touching it and stuff was just... This is the kind of thing that's going to come. A refiner's fire, a launderer's soap. And that will clean and purify and finally get rid of all those bad people. So Israel thought. And then if we... Uh, jump down to the toward the end of verse 3 then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by as in former years all right then we'll have a chance to bring these offerings to God that are pleasing to him not that our offerings are unpleasing to him, but they'll, they'll be special. These will be special offerings because God has declared them so and he has justified his people in what they have done. Okay, but then we hit verse 5. So I will come and put you on trial. Now wait a minute. We're the good. We're the nice people. Should we be put on trial? Put those sinners on trial. Haven't you ever felt that way? You know? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening in our society? Why do these evil people get away with it? Yes, Lord. Put them on trial and then fry them. But God says, wait a minute, I'm going to put you on trial. Now, wait a minute, what have we done that we should be put on trial? Now, he says, I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive foreigners among you of justice. Okay, God is saying in this trial that these sinners will get theirs. He lists here some of the worst. And so if he, by listing the worst, he means even the others who may not have been so despicable in God's eyes. So what do we do? What do we do when we are put on trial? Because God says, but do not fear me. Well, why shouldn't you be afraid of the trial that's coming? What gives you the right to think that God would not just execute justice on these sinners out here, but that God wouldn't exercise judgment on you. Well, that gets us to Christmas, doesn't it? But what was the miracle that happened at Christmas? God sent his son and unleashed in the world a man, the son of God, 
who would suffer God's justice on our sin on his shoulders on the cross? Why don't we need to fear as we stand before God? It's not that we can stand before God and say, I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like those sinners. I give my tithe. I help the poor. I do, I do, I do. No, that's the prayer of a Pharisee. The prayer that we offer, knowing that God will show mercy, is simply, as we said before, God be merciful to me, a sinner. But a sinner whose sins have been paid for on the cross. God is faithful to his promises. God will not uh, <clears throat> let us go. For in verse 6 he says, I the Lord do not change. I was talking with Mike this morning and we were talking about truth. Truth in our culture. Well, as Oprah Winfrey said, you need to find your own truth. There isn't a truth out there. You need to find your own truth. And how sad that is because God says, I don't change. My truth doesn't change. My promises to you don't change. Those will be carried out. We don't need to be afraid at the coming, at the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he says, every time, every since the times of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. How many times have you turned away from God's decrees? When you knew better, but you did it anyway. Or you didn't know better, and you still did it. God does not change in his grace toward us. He says, return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. That word return means repent. You notice when, when John came into introduced the way of Christ. It wasn't all sunshine and lollipops, was it? Who warned you, you brood of vipers? Put that inside of a Christmas card once and see what that does for your friends. <laughs> that was John's warning. But with that comes the promise. If you repent, God will come to you. And that's what we do in the season of Advent. Remember 1 John 1, 8 and 9. If we say we have no sin, we kid only ourselves. But if we confess our sin, if we repent, God is faithful and just and will forgive our sins. 
And sometimes, at least for me, I forget the last part. And he will purify you from all unrighteousness. Sometimes, don't you feel like the fire's been uh, being used or the launderer's soap is used to scrub you? I found that I've learned much more from my sin than from God's grace unless I'm able to apply that grace and use it against my sin. And that's what we do here this morning then is that we turn to the Lord. and There we will find His grace, His mercy, His forgiveness, and our new status with God through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you uh, as sinners, guilty as sin. But Lord, we turn only to you for forgiveness and life because you sent your son Jesus. Prepare our hearts then to receive him with joy and receive him then to live out our lives in repentance and in hope. In Jesus' name. Amen.